Morning Hope Reformed Baptist Church. And uh, of course, also to all of our visitors, if you are, uh, if this is your first time here, we're very glad. If you're looking for a church, then hopefully you get a little idea of what we do and what we're, we're like here at Hope Reformed Baptist Church. We love Jesus, we love the Bible, we preach the gospel, and we love more people hearing all of those things. Amen? Amen. I hope you feel very welcome and that the people around you have, uh, have uh, given you that warm welcome in a good, good handshake. It's an exciting time to be a part of Hope Reformed Baptist Church because we do have some changes um, as, as the Lord blesses us sort of coming up on the horizon. Most of that we'll talk about at the, uh, uh, at the members meeting coming up on the 3rd of March. Part of what that involves is, is that multiplying our morning services so that we might be able to uh, uh, better uh, minister to and uh, uh, deal with the amount of people that we have in this momentarily small room and praying about what God does in terms of a larger space or knocking down a wall behind us and uh, money involved with all of those things. We're going to talk about that at the members meeting. But also we'll be uh, uh, bringing in uh, to vote for your consideration, prayerful of course. You'll receive this in the agenda later today. Two names, Alex Love and uh, Seth something islander, Tamihana, I think. Uh, and those two gentlemen are going forward as deacon nominations so that we might have more help as young men who are, who are uh, uh, gifted of the Spirit in service, in hard work, um, are men of conviction and clarity in the gospel and are serving you, of course. You would have experienced their service towards you, uh, many in, uh, often in unseen ways, but, but men of godly character who, who us as elders have, have witnessed a, uh, a validity and a competency in the area of service for the kingdom and so we're putting them before you that you might uh, pray about it and vote them into the service of the church, which is, uh, has needs that are multiplying and multiplying. Today, part of the reason it's so exciting is, as Vic said, and I'll just repeat him, we have baptisms. Woo! Now, there we go. Oscar's keen. Anybody else excited for baptizing souls? And, and what baptism is, is it is a sign of confirmation for the person being baptized that, as Vic said, it's rare that somebody knows the moment of their conversion, their region. It happens, but usually, and, and somewhat often, it's, it's that there's some kind of process whereby we sort of realize through a very painful process, I'm now in Christ. I, I believe these promises I once did not believe. I, I have an inheritance with the saints in light, which I did not previously have. And upon that recognition and the profession of that faith, then we are baptized. And that moment becomes for us, not the start of our salvation at baptism, not, 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 the, not the proof that we can get forgiven by God. That comes in assurance only as we, as we consider Jesus. But it becomes a confirmation, a, a sign, a flag-bearing day to remember. Here I cast my lot in with Jesus. I was confirmed and received and celebrated over by the saints here with me. And thus is the sign and the seal of such a glorious promise in the gospel. But also, and this is for the rest of us, in the beholding of baptism, we are engaging in something deeply spiritual. That is that, just as with preaching, it is more than simple propositional truths being stated, which we give our mental assent to. That's a part of it. It's not all that it is. Paul says that preaching the gospel out of the words of God's revealed in the scripture I meant to leave God singular there, not words of God's, in case you're, you're in a, a critical hearer and you heard that wrong. The words of God, the gospel being preached out of it, he calls that the weapons of his warfare in 2 Corinthians 10. Just as hearing the sermon is in fact something that the Spirit empowers to sanctify us and to strengthen us and to feed our souls and our faith, 
So also the Lord's Supper and today baptism is something that the Spirit engages with to confirm these truths to us. As, as we see the, 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 the sinners turned saints plunged into the water and brought up, we're watching a drama of the gospel. You don't need a TV show written by some weirdos in Hollywood to picture a visual depiction of the life ministry in Jesus and the gospel. You need to watch more baptisms is what you need to do. You need to get to more preaching and hear it and see the visible gospel sort of played out in the drama of baptism. So that's what we're going to be doing today. And, and therefore, before we get to the baptisms, that it would be most beneficial to us and best for us as a congregation in witnessing it, our time beforehand in the Word will be pondering that which baptism represents, which is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So can you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I'm going to read about six verses. We will be focusing in on the second of those verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, uh, please uh, grab one of the deacons or somebody who brought you. There might be some free ones on the, on the, the, the uh, desk at the front, the, the cabinetry. Otherwise, we can, we can source you one. We would love you to have the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16 says this. Now, from now on, Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. You, you understand what, what he's saying there. That we used to think Jesus was this, this Jew, this itinerant preacher and teacher who got killed as a political agitator. He's, maybe you think of him as a, as a myth, a historical figure. He started up a cult, something like that. That is to consider Jesus according to the flesh, according to merely a human, merely a bodily, largely wrong conception of who he is. But to consider Jesus in the spiritual realm, with spiritual eyes, is to consider him thus no longer. Paul goes on. But we consider him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What an amazing sentence that is. But then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Did you hear what I said earlier and how Paul agrees with that? That in the preaching among the church who God has given the ministry, the message of reconciliation to the world, it's never just a human speaking. It is also God making an appeal through these, these, these vessels of, of clay, these, these clay jars. He's making his appeal, God to soul, through us. Be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless his own word in our midst this morning. In this text, we see two blessings and, and essential components of the gospel. Paul, Paul, in the broader context, is like describing his, his preaching ministry. That's why he keeps on making reference of, and doing all this, he gave us the message of reconciliation. He made us messengers and preachers and ambassadors to represent God and preach to the world. But, but in terms of the content of what he preaches, 
he has two main blessings. We see the first one really put out in verse 17 on the screen behind me, and also in verse 21 is the second. The, the first blessing is regeneration. The second blessing is justification. Regeneration in verse 17, justification in verse 21. And, and if we were to use the language of Paul in this text, I've just given you like the theological terms we use, but in the language of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, those terms are new creation, which we termed regeneration, and reconciliation, which I call justification. These are the two blessings of the gospel which Paul is, is describing here in this chapter, and they pertain to the dual need of our fallen state. As sinners, we don't just have one problem. Goodness me, we know we have many but the Bible sort of collates them into these categories and we'll deal with at least two of them today. The first problem is that you are, I am by nature from our conception through our birth and then if God doesn't do something to us our whole life until we die, regardless of how religious or spiritual we are, regardless of how philosophical or atheistic we are, regardless of whether or not we, we're postmodernists and don't believe in categories of right, wrong, good and evil, regardless of what ethnicity we are, or if we grew up in a nation that never heard of this Judeo-Christian Western uh, 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 nonsense. It doesn't matter what you call yourself, how you identify what's happened to you. If you were born as a human, then you were a son of Adam. A son of Adam who fell in the garden a son and daughter of Adam who, who gives to you his nature as a father gives to his son, as a mother gives to her daughters. We receive the nature of our first father, Adam, and that is a fallen nature. So we are born spiritually dead. I don't know if you've ever, ever bitten into a, an apple expecting and, and hoping for a refreshing crunch and a juicy bite to find a rotten, corrupt little, uh, maybe a worm in there somewhere, but it's dry, crumbling and disgusting. Such is the reality of each one of our hearts. You want to look inside and, and the guru or the self-help novelist or the, 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 the teacher at school tells you, look within, feel inside and stuff like that. In you is the hope of, of, of light and divine glory. And you look in, what does the Bible say you will find? Just a cesspit of, of, of everything from underneath your fridge and everything underneath the oven on the bottom of that grease tray, and everything sort of scraped off the floor of your garage and then out of your, 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 your dog's pen, everything put into a blender, left out in the sun for three or four weeks, and everything that it's growing, is that, that, that's put into a cup. That's you and me on the inside. We're corrupted. We're, we're, we're corroding on the inside. We are, we are by nature filthy. We have a corruption. The Bible sometimes uses the picture of somebody who's sick in this, in this, in this uh, idea. We have this, this rotten blood. We have festering wounds. And spiritually speaking, we are born dead in sin, corrupt, and with a sinful nature. It's the first part that Paul's going to talk about today. The other area, though, is our legal status. Legal status. The first is our nature, our actual components of how we live, think, process, uh, behave. The second is our legal status, which is how you appear on God's justice books in the bar, before the bar of the court of God. 
That is, one is how you are, your very being, your very nature. The other is, is what God's records say about you. Your legal status is your second grand and great problem because your legal status before God is as a lawbreaker, as a sinner, as an enemy of God, as a debtor. And therefore God, looking at the records, having known what you've lived, known what you've done, known what you've thought, known what you wished you could have done to certain people in certain times, know what you wish you could do. God looks at all of this. Your record spells guilty. And he stamps upon your, 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 your own status but from the moment of your conception. Guilty, condemned, deserving punishment. This is the second real problem that the passage today considers. And, and therefore, the two solutions are, if we come back to this remembrance, your, your first problem is your nature corrupt. Your second problem is your status condemned. And what Jesus does is come in and by his life where he was perfect, by his death where he died for sin, by his resurrection whereby he proved to the world that judgment will come, I'm the one who will judge, but you can flee that wrath in my death and coming to me. He then gives the Holy Spirit so that we have a new nature, regeneration, and we have Christ's righteousness given and gifted to our record that is justification. This is the, the dual promise of the gospel in this text that Paul talks about. And we have to understand what each of them mean. And, under, and, and as we understand them, though, also distinguish them. We have to distinguish them. Because when these two things are confused and collapsed into each other, no end of, of turmoil of soul begins. You start to wonder... I don't feel so much like a new creation, so maybe my record before God is tainted. Well, that's not how they work. Or you go, I'm now righteous in God's sight. That means I must be in my nature perfect. Also disastrous and illogical against all experience. We might think, I was a sinner, but God made me born again. He, he regenerated me. Now I'm a good person, and so he looks on my goodness and forgives me. Also a confusion. And there is no gospel in any of those because still it relies upon you, maybe even with God's help. It relies on you to be good enough to earn justification. This is not the gospel. We must distinguish them. First, we look at verse 17 of regeneration. Chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. She is a new creation. They are a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. By our nature, we have said we are dead in sin. You may think, I disagree with that. I feel very much alive. That's because the deadness that the Bible speaks about is an ignorant blindness that doesn't even know it's dead. It, it, it's, it's somebody who has been born and raised in a very small cage and has no conception or understanding or, or even idea of what it might be to be free. And they're being told, I can get you out of this cage. And the person says, this is my home. This is, this is my mansion. I, I hear it's a pretty big cage. This is, this is all they've ever known. And so this, this is what they understand life to be. Freedom from this has no real conceptual meaning to them. So it is when we speak to the dead sinner about being dead in sin, you hear that and think, Surely this is just fancy spiritual imagery. It's not real. I'm not really existing in an experiential plane outside of fullness. And that is exactly what I'm telling you. We are not enlightenment thinkers here. 
It is not as if every miraculous spiritual word, language, or picture that the Bible uses, we then say, well, well, that's just a logical, philosophical picture of a conceptual idea. No. No, your problem is not just that you haven't be- thought certain things according to the Scripture's teaching. It is that you can't think them. You're missing the faculty to be able to understand and grasp the gospel because you are rotting on the inside and you are allergic to God's goodness. This is to be dead in sin, to be the old man, as Paul says here, that old which is then thrown away in regeneration. Not only that, but you are enslaved to unrighteousness through your lusts and passions. This is, of course, the testimony of every born-again Christian which is to say every true Christian. If you are still seeking salvation, you know what I'm about to explain. If you're a true Christian, you remember what I'm about to explain. And if you are not a Christian, I hope that this starts to make sense of your experience. The Bible speaks of you being enslaved and under the chains to serve your slave master, Satan. In this sense, you don't really have what we might call free will or what we might call self-determination or freedom. What man out there who, who claims that they're not really dead and enslaved in sin, this is all silly religious philosophy, if I said to them, and, and I have, it's fun to watch their, uh, watch their reaction, but I said, okay, cool, it's all just made up, you're, you're not actually enslaved, you have full, free self-determination and autonomy, cool, just don't last for one week. I mean, if this is just a concept made up by God, you have full, free self-determination in yourself to not do whatever you want to not do. Don't tell a single lie this week. Right? Your wife will leave you by the end of it, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, don't last a single time this week. Your mind will explode. No, it, it doesn't work. Because people, though they, though they claim, I'm, not, I'm no slave to sin, I feel very much free. The reason is because the way that the devil enslaves you is through your own lusts and passions. So you say, I'm not enslaved. I do whatever I want. That's the definition of slavery. Because what you want from your corrupted nature is sin, selfishness, covetousness, sexual perversion, uh, uh, immorality. So when you say, I'm just doing everything I want to do. I'm just, I feel something and I do it. Again, that's the slavery. You're enslaved to, it, it, we're familiar with this language these days, it's a psyop. You ever heard that? You ever heard that, how people will claim that this organization, or maybe this foreign nations organization, or maybe this government, they're, they're sort of employing uh, 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 d- distracting means through the media to sort of poison our brains and control us all, but basically by propaganda and, and, and mind control. It's a psyop, a, a psychological operation. But people back in the Roman Empire would note that as the empire was crumbling, the emperors built circuses. That the people would be distracted from the corruption of the empire and the degradation of their economy because they can go and watch people get eaten or run around in circles. They'll be distracted. A psyop. The devil's way of enslaving the masses is through a psyop. Here they think, I do whatever I want to do. And the devil says, that's exactly right. And I've so twisted you and corrupted your nature that what you want to do is nothing but the evil. That, that's how you are enslaved by nature. Enslaved unto our lusts and passions so that we don't actually have the freedom to walk away from them, even if we were convinced that we should. This is the experience of some of you. You've, you've heard the law of God, the threat of hell, the promise of heaven. You think, good, I, I want to get out of hell. 
I want to stop living the way I do. I want to go to heaven. And there you sit like a, like a slave in the galleys, chained down. You can't escape the patterns, the lifestyle, the habits, the thought processes, the lusts, the passions, the taking out of all of your, all of your sin through your body. You can't stop doing it. Why? Because, friend, salvation, going to heaven, God has not put it in your hands. God has not, has not made it available for you to work out of that. Rather, he tells you, you're a slave to that. You need to call on someone who can help. You can't help yourself. You need to ask God, cry to God, that he would help you and release you from your slavery. He ha- because you can't do it yourself. You're a slave to the very sin that is condemning you. And so what regeneration is talking about in verse 17 is that you receive a new nature. This isn't just evangelical speak. Oh, you're a born-again guy. You belong to that denomination or, or this arm of Protestantism. That's not born again. Born again is literally a spiritual miracle whereby a person changes nature because they are acted on by the triune God of Scripture. That's what being born again is. Literally a miracle. Literally an amazing spiritual act of God and new creation. you, You experience an internal resurrection and revival. The scripture uses language of this even in just a couple of chapters before chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. He uses language like light flooding into your heart. He uses language like you're getting a new heart. You, you used to have this calcified stony heart that couldn't beat. And then God does a heart transplant and gives you a fleshy heart that beats and moves the oxygen and the hemoglobin around your body. He uses language of having new eyes where you used to be blind and, and, and these, these cataracts, these, these, the, the, these scales were over your eyes. You could not see God, could not see goodness, could not see value in Jesus. And then God's Spirit gives you new eyes. You see Jesus for all that he is to us in the gospel and you receive him. Or the language of being spiritually alive. We also hear in the scripture this language of in your regeneration... You get the mind of Christ. It's not just that in your corruption, you don't think the right things. So becoming a Christian is just thinking the right things. As we said, it is that your your mind is blind and dead and corrupt. You can't accept the things of God. Therefore, regeneration is not just changing your mind. It's receiving a new mind by the Holy Spirit. And then you think according to those new ways. So that... 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 actually tell us that the person who is dead in sin, and this is, this, is, this is doubly bad news for you if you're not a believer. I'm not just saying you're going to hell. I'm saying you can't even understand the concept of the life raft being thrown in front of you. You're under some kind of spiritual hypnosis. So there's the, 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 the rope is thrown to you as you're drifting towards the waterfall. What your eyes see is a serpent being thrown at you. You'll avoid it. You'll try and get away from it. Such is the blindness of the natural man. It says to us that the only way your mind can change and think accordingly and receive Jesus and and want the gospel as it's presented to us in Christ is if you receive a new mind. And that is what God does in regeneration. Gives you a new mind that can understand, comprehend, and love the gospel so that you have new affections, new, new, new feelings within you towards God new desires for what you want to do, new taste buds, the the, the things you used to just crave after and want to do and love to do. 
now as a new being. You, you might taste them still. You might be foolish enough to jump back and take a gulp, but, but it is repulsing to you because this inexplainable thing has happened. You have new taste buds. You're a new creation. You just don't think, feel, taste, and love and value what you used to in the same way. This is not a result of good works. We need to say this. We talk about being born again, becoming a new creation. Some of you will think, when's the class for that? When is the church going to put on a new creation program so I can go through the six steps and be a new creation because I need that? Some of you will ask, when will the pastor, uh, 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 what do they call, impart that? When can I come down the front, receive the oil and the cross and receive that? Some of you are thinking, where's the steps? Is it in the back somewhere? Is there a list of things that I can just do or chant or pray and then it's done automatically? How do I do that? Where can it happen? Well, regeneration, being born again, that thing you so desperately need. And Christians, that thing that God so graciously poured out on us is not a result of good works done. It is not the result or the outcome of efforts put in and it is not even by the process of cooperation where God gave us some to do we did a little bit and there came the cracker we did a little bit more and there he gave us regeneration not how it worked if you have your bible you can turn with me to Titus chapter 3 as Paul talks about this in another letter Titus chapter 3 he speaks about regeneration go to verse 4 Titus chapter 3 verse 4 He's commanding Titus to teach the church this. Titus 3 verse 4. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. You know, the goodness and loving kindness of God has a name. His name is Jesus Christ. When this loving kindness and this goodness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. That's unilateral. This is what we call monogistic. Monogism is, is a Latin phrase meaning mono, one-sided. Right? Monobrow is your friend with one brow. Uh, monocycle or unicycle or, or some kind of mono, always one, one, one-sided. Ergos is that language of energy, a moving, the effort put in. When we talk about monogism, we mean that the work done to accomplish this outcome was one-sided. Like a dying person unconscious in a river, pulled out by a lifesaver, monogism. That person was swimming, needed a bit of a hand. They, they both worked together to pull them up. We call that synergy, working together. Paul says, when we talk about regeneration, God saving us, it is just that. He saved us. Monogistic, one-sided, the work of God. And in case it's not clear enough, he then goes on. He saved us, not even because of works done by us in righteousness. There's no works that accomplished this on our side. There's no good things that earned this on our side. But according to his own mercy. How? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the good news of the gospel. God, by his Holy Spirit, makes your nature new. 
You're a new person, new heart, new mind, new eyes, new spirit. You're alive now. And he did that by his own grace, by the Holy Spirit, whereby he then washed you. And and in giving you the new nature, your old nature was washed away. Don't believe now that as a Christian you have just as much sin as you ever did. You've just got one little sprinkling of holiness and spirit now. No, your old self is dead. That old man died with Christ on the cross. That's, That's why we bury you underwater in baptism to raise you up again. Because your old man is dead. The old you is dead. The the way that you move forward in righteousness now is by realizing that in the renewal of your mind, realizing what the Spirit has done for you and thus walking away. But you have that competency, that ability, that power by the implanted seed of the Holy Spirit who gives you power. This results in, right, regeneration, I need to say, is invisible. It's invisible. You, You can't watch somebody and see regeneration happen, right? They, They don't shine with a little bit of light, they don't jolt, uh, they, they, they don't shiver, there's, there's, there's nothing that happens to them, they don't go walking around with a, with a C on their head now, meaning Christian. It's invisible, but its immediate results are not invisible. This is what we call conversion, sort of the human side to regeneration. God makes you new, and then you start acting new, because what can you do other than act new if everything inside of you has changed? This is where you have changed life, good works, uh, a new profession of faith. You say, I believe in Jesus. This is what baptism is, a, a sign of that renewal, that regeneration, and that washing happening. We then get under the water and back out to picture, to convert our lifestyle, to show to people I'm a new person. I've done away with the old. There's, there was a, a, a pastor, a theologian of the ancient church. His name was Augustine. You might know him as St. Augustine or wrongly as St. Augustine. Augustine is the proper pronunciation. Augustine was a, he was born into a Christian home, but he was, he grew up like many young men into uh, sexual sins and womanizing and chasing money. He became quite a philosopher and chasing these, these kinds of mental exercises that might give him final satisfaction in life. And uh, uh, one day he was walking through this garden and he heard children singing as part of some kind of garden game, a Roman garden game, and he heard them uh, 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 singing, Tele Lege, Tele Lege, which means pick up and read it. He thought, this, this feels to me like a call of God. So he went and found an open Bible and looked at it and took it up and, and read it, and what he read there was Romans 13, verse 13 and 14. He picked up as God had commanded him through the voice of these children. What he read was this. Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual uh, excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. He there gave his his life in that sense to Jesus. He, He put on Jesus Christ, as Romans 13 commanded him. He says that in that moment, he experienced as if there was a light flooding into his heart became a new man. He went to church. He heard preaching. He was thoroughly converted, baptized, and became a theologian that blessed the church and all of church history has him to thank for many of our categories. But that wasn't enough. That's not just a good picture. There's more to it. Uh, There's this time that he was, remember his past life as an adult man traveling the Roman Empire, rich, sexual uh, liaisons here and there, girlfriends in every major city, that kind of guy. 
And he'd gone to this, to this uh, main city, which he, he used to frequent, but he was there on church business now. You know, maybe a pastor's conference or something in town. And one of the women of the street starts going out to him as he's sort of walking along with his pastor buddies, you know, <laughs> going, to, going, to, going to the afternoon service at the, at the uh, shepherd's conference. And, and this prostitute starts calling out to him, Augie, that was his, that was his, his flirty name, Augie, uh, uh, Augie. Augie, I'm over here. And he's seeing her across the street. He says he puts his face down in shame. He goes, this is somewhat embarrassing. And keeps walking, hoping he'll be, he'll be lost in the crowd. And the woman starts to chase him, sort of walk out of here. Augie, Augie, where are you going? And, and she stands in the middle of the street and yells out, taking off her veil, Augie, it's me. And he turns back and says to her, yes, but it's not me. It's not me. I, we, we understand this, that for a Christian, we, we say to her, we, we may have the part, same past, same name, same body, same memories, but it's not me. I, I don't know how better to explain it, but that, of course, you knew this, but, but this is not me anymore. I'm now born of the Spirit. I'm now alive to Christ. I have a new mind, a new heart, new future, new destination, new inheritance. You just don't know me anymore. And how many Christians can agree with this? You start, you start a, a converted later in life and you start talking to your old friends and they might even say, who are you? And you just have to amen that and go, yeah, I, I guess you don't know who I am now. The person you know is now dead and there is a new person standing in front of you. Each one of us has to settle this in our hearts. It is no longer me. In fact, now it's Christ who lives in me. This is regeneration. Uh, I speak to you who may have experienced the devil's fraudulent counterfeits. The devil's fraudulent counterfeits. Maybe, maybe you lived outside of the church, outside of Jesus, and you had, a, you had a hungering. Augustine spoke after his conversion and said, Lord, you have made us for thyself, and therefore we are restless until our hearts find their rest in you. Here's the danger. People may experience this restlessness, this lack of peace, this guilt of conscience, this, this sense of spirituality. And they come maybe to a, a false gospel. Maybe they come to a, a good church, good preaching, but their experience of it is not genuine and entire. They sort of come under the sounding of Bible teaching just enough to sort of get conservative family values. To sort of, they go from maybe hardline atheist to now a spiritual sort of person. You sort of get under it and you, you learn some rights and wrongs and some commands and you go, okay, now, now I understand what it's like to be a good person. This is good. Maybe, maybe you go forward and you get baptized or, or you, you go to a marriage renewal sort of weekend and you, and you feel like this is really the answer to the rest of my life and, and then time passes and you find that what we've been speaking about today of the new creation, new heart, new mind, new affections, new desires, you can't aim in that. And it's not just that now you struggle and fight against those sins which you hate and you wish you didn't. No, no, it's, it's, that, it's that you say, I love them still. I'm starting to get short and sick and tired of holiness, of Jesus, and of Bible. It's not satisfying to me. It's not desirous to me. And I wonder just how many other people around me are all faking it like I am. You've experienced what the devil loves, which is just enough of religion to make you think you've found the real thing. Just enough of Christianity 
to make you stop searching and praying and seeking for salvation. But you will still end up in hell because you have not been born again. You do not have a new nature and therefore you are still under this old status of condemned. You're not reconciled. We can briefly speak of of the last sort of promise that Paul says here down in uh, verse 21. He he refers to it throughout the the verses prior as well, and it's this gift of reconciliation. What I'm telling you is that if this has not occurred to you, this being born again, this new nature, this change of soul and heart, resulting in conversion, a change of life, then you are not reconciled to God. Reconciliation is this wonderful picture of an enemy making, making peace. We could imagine a kind of, kind of image where, where a king had gone to war. Maybe, maybe it was the English king against the, against the Vikings. The, 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 the invading Danes coming down from the north and east. And, and, and the king went out in, 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 in his forces against these enemies. And many of his noblemen, many of his lords and eldermen had ch- turned side, changed alliances, and on the promise of Danish gold and silver had joined his enemies. Picture this now. The king yet manages to thwart and kill that Viking invader. Now, every English town and nobleman and lord is shaking in their boots because not only is the king angry, he's still red hot from war. And he's now having having vanquished the Viking, he's now going to come down south and find all of his English lords that turned on him, that were traitors, that committed high treason, and he's going to give them what they deserve, which is the same death as those foreign invaders. And there's people standing in a certain, certain town, and, and they're calling out to the nobleman and to the lord. And they say, the king has been seen marching south, town to town, and I give you this promise, the king is making peace with every town he meets. He has sent forth his prince into each town and and he is making a vow with them that supersedes the old covenant. The old covenant that we broke and earned high treason and death from, the prince is coming in and promising peace to anyone that lays down their arms, to anyone that throws away the Danish silver, to anybody that re-hoists the flag of England and of the king. He's willing to make peace. He's He's reconciling the nation to himself in his son. And and then the son comes to this town. There's not a knock on the door. There's a besiegement around the city. And, And there is certain death to any that flee. There is certain death to anybody that stands up against this prince. But the prince publishes peace. He promises reconciliation. And by the power of his right hand man, let's call him the Holy Spirit, He barges in and breaks down the gates of the city. He marches into the nobleman's noble room and says to him, I promise, not a single soul in the city will die if you throw down your sword, you hoist again the flag of the king, and you make peace now through me, his son, with the king that you have offended. This is the idea of reconciliation. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 18. All of this is from God. Who imagined this? Who did this? Who affected this? God. Who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, verse 19 says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
no longer counting their trespasses against them. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, here's where this whole king and prince and nation analogy breaks down. (coughs) Nothing can compare with the true glories of the gospel. For our sake, he made him, the prince, the king, the, the king's son, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How does God change our status? How does he reconcile us to himself in a way that doesn't make sense on human analogies and and pictures? The king reckons legally your sins, your treason, your rebellion and your crimes to the prince himself so that the father can say, The king can say, the reason I will never ever wake up and and, and be re-enraged with your treason is because I have been completely satisfied and pleased to bruise and crush and kill my son, whom I sent to the gallows, whom I sent to the firing squad, who I sent to the guillotine, who I sent to the cross instead of you who deserve it. Because God has given Jesus to die for us, we can therefore receive and and be reckoned with, accounted with. God moves around the paperwork in heaven, scratches out Jesus' name, writes your name at the top of his perfect life, and you now are treated as if this is your record. Perfect, unstained, undefiled, righteous. You can become the righteousness of God by faith because of all that Jesus has done. And this is what baptism signifies. That the people coming forward to the waters are saying, I used to have this sick nature. I used to stand under this guilty, condemned status. But thanks be to God who gives us victory in Jesus Christ. He has given me a new heart and a new nature. And by faith in Jesus, I have a new righteousness standing in heaven for me. And I will never be condemned. Believe it if you have not yet believed it. Do not refuse this wonderful, glorious promise. But if we have, then let's praise God together. Let's pray. Father God, not of us. You saved us, not according to our good works, not because of our earnings, not because of our deservings. You saved us by the washing of the Holy Spirit. You saved us by the rich grace in Jesus Christ. You saved us by making us a new creation so that the old is dead and gone. You have made us reconciled to yourself, publishing peace and promises of forgiveness in Jesus because he has died for us after having lived to earn us a righteousness and in our stands resurrected, welcoming, calling, imploring all sinners to be reconciled. Thank you, God, that we've been reconciled in Christ and Christ alone. Thank you that you now stand open-armed to receive anybody here again this morning. And we pray that you do. Give new faith, new hearts to people who are still dead in sin, that they might believe on Jesus and be reconciled to you in his blood. We pray all of these things in the name of him who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. 
We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.